The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Nobody does Radio Row like NBC Sports Radio. Exclusive broadcast continues with more live coverage from Super Bowl 54 in Miami. Can't beat that. Now, here's Florio. It is a Friday edition of Pro Football Talk Live from Radio Row in Miami, and I'm being very calm and restrained because I've learned something this week, and I've learned it in a very difficult and annoying way. Thanks to the Boomer and Geo show to the right of me and Golik and Wingo to the left of me, apparently there's something that I hadn't learned about being a professional radio broadcaster. When you sign on, when you're not in your usual habitat, you're supposed to talk really, really, really loudly so everybody knows you're there. Because they only do it for like 10 seconds. Like they can't maintain it for four hours, much less for four minutes. It peters out quickly. But it is the declaration of the world. It's the call of the peacock or the rooster or whatever other bird uses sounds for mating purposes. That's how the day gets started. I have not gotten the memo. I refuse to participate while they yell and scream for, I don't know, 45 seconds, and then it all dies down. It will die down. Late. Oh, no, they're still yelling over there. You never know, you never know where the next rooster is going to call out in search of love. So... Uh, we, uh, we got a big day today. I'm, I'm pacing myself because this is another five-hour day. Wednesday, five hours. Thursday, five hours. Friday, five hours. And it's not just five hours. It's five hours live. And then it is whoever just happens to show up to have a conversation with us. And it's fine. I'm not complaining. It's great. We are ricocheting from one noteworthy guest to another. We had plenty yesterday after the show ended we were on five hours, and then we kept going with the likes of Cam Jordan, Chris Harris Jr., Terry Bradshaw, Melvin Gordon, and Devin and Jason McCourty, 
also Zadarius Smith and Russell Wilson. And you're going to hear from some of those folks throughout the course of the next five hours because the best ones made the cut for purposes of today's broadcast. And then live on set here in Miami, once we slip over to NBCSN, the guests will include the likes of Hall of Fame head coach Tony Dungy, Saints quarterback Drew Brees, who is in the throes of a very real retirement deliberation, Rodney Harrison from Football Night in America, Alabama receiver Jerry Judy, tentatively at 9.30 a.m. Eastern, set your DVRs now for a rare appearance, the rarest of all birds, Joe Montana. Blink and you'll miss him, Joe Montana. We hope we can coax him out of his cage. We hope He'll make it here. But if you're patient, if you're quiet, if you stay still, there is a chance that you will see for a fleeting moment the great Joe Montana. Aaron Jones, Packers running back, will join us as well. DK Metcalf, Decaf Metcalf, coming up in a few hours from now. Great rookie receiver for the Seattle Seahawks. Trey Waynes, Vikings cornerback who is rocketing toward free agency. Von Miller, Super Bowl 50 MVP as well. And then when we slide off air, we continue. And you will see at profootballtalk.com the full videos of Lions coach Matt Patricia. That was kind of a stunner that he's making the rounds. Not keeping a low profile as he heads into what appears to be a make-or-break year for him and for GM Bob Quinn. And then the master of all trades from the New Orleans Saints, Taysom Hill, will be joining us. Taysom Hill. Nobody really knows what his voice sounds like. We've never heard him talk. Would you reckon? I won't reckon. I wouldn't know his voice. It reminds me of the bit that John Oliver did a couple of years ago on Jared Kushner. Nobody had heard him talk. So they played his voice, and it was Gilbert Gottfried. Nobody would have known the difference. Maybe when Taysom, if Taysom Hill talks and it's Gilbert Gottfried, I'm going to lose my mind. Leonard Fournette also is going to join us before we shut this thing down. And the other thing, too, is we don't know who else is going to show up. I mean, it, it, it's, that, that's, that's the fun of it. We, we've had to say no to people that any other day we'd love to talk to. Chandler Jones, sorry we can't fit you in. No room at the end, Chandler. Sorry. So it's going to be a great day. It's been a great, great week. I can't. It, 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 this happens every year. On Monday, it feels like I am at the bottom of a giant mountain. And then by Friday, we're at the top of the mountain saying, all right, where's the next mountain? Let's go. This was fun. It's going to be fun today. We're going to get things started with one of the interviews that we did yesterday. And I wish you could see this one. And you can if you go to profootballtalk.com. Devin and Jason McCourty with awesome Pizza Hut button-up shirts, and I am going to get myself one of those. It was awesome. Here's Devin and Jason McCourty from yesterday afternoon here on Radio Row in Miami, site of Super Bowl 54. Let's focus on one of the guys that we've all been trying to figure out how in the world the San Francisco 49ers are going to stop him. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes. You guys have seen him. You guys had to deal with him. What's the key to trying to contain a guy like Patrick Mahomes? I think one of the things that when we did have success was getting pressure on him, whether it was with four or we sent five guys, but it was getting pressure to him. I want it pretty much immediately, like yeah. getting someone in his face, making him roll out when he doesn't want to, like creating that type of atmosphere. And he's still going to make some plays. Like you're never going to like just handicap him. He's still going to make some plays. But to me, that is the way that you kind of have some control. Like last year, AC Championship held him to zero points in the first half. 
This year, the second half held on the three points. The other halves of those games, he was Patrick Mahomes, but yeah. those were the things we did well when that happened. It really is amazing how when he finds the gas pedal, you never know when he's going to do it, but all of a sudden, he's gone. just like they're down 10 points to Tennessee, and boom, it's 21-17 yeah, at the half, just, just like, like that. that. It happens so fast, just it's like, like you can't stop it. You can't, you can't just sit back and zone because he's too good of a quarterback and he'll be able to pick it apart. But the issue is when you say, hey, we're just going to man these guys up, the next thing you know, it's a 60-yard bomb and Tyreek Hill, McCall Hardman, they're catching these long points. So it's just that you have to find an even medium, like he said, of being able to get pressure and not giving up the big play or being able to keep yourself in the game. And then obviously I think this matchup is so fun because San Francisco can run the ball. So if they're able to run the ball effectively mm -hmm. and keep him off the field, it's huge. Well, and wouldn't that be the Belichick approach to Mahomes in a game like this with all this riding on it? have long possessions offensively, yeah. chew up the clock, take the full 40 seconds, have long, long drives, frustrate their offense. They're standing on the sideline yeah. watching. And then when he's on the field, he's going to press a little bit more yeah. and take back off and just force him to be patient yeah. and work but his way slowly down the field. I've heard Bill say before, you can't win a game and play good defense banking on your offense to have good drives. So, like, he always talks about putting a plan together. And, like, I know one of the key things when we played Kansas City was making them, like you just said, not always backing up, but making them drive the, like, have fourth, third down conversions, not just giving up. Like, the times that they've had great success on us, they've had probably five to six plays over 40 to 50 yards. Like it feels like plays. they thrive on that. Yeah. And, and I assume that that takes away some of your heart as well when you give up a big play like yeah. that. It's a pendulum swing. Yeah, definitely. And especially depending upon what situation in the game. You give up a third and short long touchdown like we did last year when we played them the first time in New England. And that's just not the team you want to get in a shootout with. So I think like you just said, when you give up those long plays, even watching the Tennessee game, Tennessee was playing tough, trying to mount a comeback, and then next thing you know, the ball goes over your head. And it's just such, def it's such a deflating play to the defense. Tom Brady, one of the highest profile free agents in the history of the NFL if he chooses to change teams. Do you guys have any inclination, any lean, any thought as to what he's going to do? No, no idea. No idea. No idea. And, and I think for him, he probably doesn't have much of an idea. You know, like for us, especially for the, like we just talked about, for three or four years straight, we've just played so much football that we never really get true downtime. So, I and think I, guys have spent a lot of time And I with think for him, like you just said, family. Family is very important. That's kind of why we got involved with Pizza. They were two brothers that started the company together. And I think for Tom right now, that's probably the most important thing for him. Right now, he's probably just with his family. And whatever move he makes next is going to be in the best interest of him and his family. And that very well may be to stay right there in New England. I mean, from the outside, it feels like the time has come for him to move on. I don't know what it feels like, but it's just a feeling, mm -hmm. just the where it's, how it's even gotten to this point. Like it wouldn't get to this point if mm -hmm. he was staying. There'd already be a deal in place to keep him around. The fact that we're six weeks away from free agency, it just makes me feel like he's gonna go somewhere else. And that's what's weird. I think there's two type of feelings. Like you just said, I think that makes a lot of sense for people. And then there's other people like, well, if you do something for 20 years someplace, why would you ever leave? So you just never know. But like you said, it's up in the air. Tyree Kill's got to be one of the fastest guys in the NFL right now. What, what, what is it like when he is at full speed and you are out there trying to just stay within shouting distance? He is the fastest player I've ever played against. And I don't know if other people are close, but he is by far the fastest to go from zero to top speed, like a crossing route, a bubble screen. Like he catches it, he takes one step, and you're like, 
Like how? Like how did? Yeah, you some guys need that? to take a few steps yes. to get to top and speed. Think, He's instantly and I, and there. I think the difference is you've played against some receivers that straight line are just they're fast. We're just like, but it was just like, hey, he's either running a go or he's running a stop. And I think with Tyreek Hill, he has the agility and his quickness to go side to side and then get vertical extremely fast. So I think the combination of that, and then you've just seen how much he's developed as a receiver since he's been in the league. That makes him when you can run fast, you're tough to cover. It's that simple. Great insights from Devin and Jason McCourty about the Super Bowl, about Tyreek Hill, and with their thoughts regarding quarterback Tom Brady. And last night, we had an annual PFT gathering of staff and some other guests for dinner. And as we were there, we started passing around via text. Even though we're all standing in the same area, we still communicate exclusively by text message because it is too scary to actually talk to other people. But we were passing around a tweet that popped up out of nowhere, 6.36 p.m. Eastern last night. A very cryptic tweet from the account owned and operated by Tom Brady. When we return, I will tell you what the tweet was, and I will give you my thoughts on what it could mean and then spin it forward regarding what could ultimately happen between the New England Patriots and the guy who has been their starting quarterback since the 2001 season when Drew Bledsoe got blown up, sir, by Mo Lewis on the sidelines of a Jets-Patriots game. More PFT Live coming at you right after this. geared up for a Chiefs Niners showdown this Sunday. We're breaking it down, then putting it all back together. Now, back to Pro Football Talk Live. Here's Mike Florio. 19 minutes after the hour on this Friday edition of Pro Football Talk Live. And last night, the tweet that emerged from Tom Brady's official account, and, and he, he, he is a, a sneaky, great social media artist and he will give us things from time to time to think about and he will give us things from time to time that if it was any other quarterback we we would say wow why did he do what he did why is he poking the bear of an opponent that they're either going to play or that they have just beaten but Tom Brady as the greatest quarterback of all time and as a guy who never goes over the top he knows where the line is and he doesn't cross it he gets the benefit of the doubt So at a time when everyone is trying to figure out exactly what Tom Brady is going to do as he becomes a free agent in March for the first time in his career, he posted a photo. And it's an amazing optical illusion because it is a figure, which is clearly Tom Brady, and that figure is walking at Gillette Stadium. Now, you can't tell whether he's walking in or whether he's walking out. My guess would be, based upon the context, based upon the circumstances, based upon the conversation that has reached fever pitch already in Boston. I was on one of the Boston stations yesterday talking about who will be blamed if Tom Brady leaves and There's a narrative that Robert Kraft, the owner of the team, will be blamed if Tom Brady leaves, which is just ludicrous to me. How can you blame Robert Kraft? He's kept the guy for 20 years. 
He saved the team from moving to St. Louis 25 years ago. He's delivered six Super Bowl championships to Boston, 10 Super Bowl appearances. If Tom Brady chooses to leave, how is that the fault of Robert Kraft? And also, if he chooses to stay, how much longer is he staying? At some point, the long-term best interests of the franchise are served by turning the page to a new quarterback. And don't just assume it'll be Jared Stidham. Maybe the Patriots will jump into the pursuit of any of the various free agents that are out there. Maybe they'll sign Teddy Bridgewater. Maybe they'll sign Phillip Rivers. Maybe they'll make a play for Taysom Hill. So, if Tom Brady chooses to leave, that is a Tom Brady decision. Now, if Bill Belichick chooses to make Tom Brady an offer that he knows Brady won't accept, that's a Belichick decision. Belichick is in charge of the football operations. Do you really want Robert Kraft to intervene and tell the greatest coach of all time in any sport, you have to keep Tom Brady even if you don't want to? Is that what you want? This is a very easy exercise in rock, paper, scissors for me. Between Belichick and Brady, Belichick, who may be around another 10 years or longer. Brady, who's got three seasons max. Keep Belichick and see how it goes. This photo, and I keep looking at it, looking for clues. Is there anything in the, the reflection? Is there anything in the shadow? Is there anything there that would suggest that he's walking away or... To, when you look at the top, it looks like he's walking in. When you look at the legs, it looks like he's walking out. It's a beautiful photograph, and it is one hell of a riddle. But when you consider everything, when you consider that there has been no suggestion that a deal is in place with the Patriots for him to stay... In the absence of a definitive answer, and maybe it comes today, maybe at some point today, the Patriots announce or someone leaks to Shefty five minutes before the announcement comes that Tom Brady has a deal in place to remain with the Patriots, and they upstage the Super Bowl, and they announce to the world that they are keeping the band together for multiple more seasons as Tom Brady tries to get number seven as a member of the Patriots. Maybe. Maybe that happens today. But let me tell you this. If a deal is not announced or leaked today between the Patriots and Brady, this photo means he's gone. He's out. He's moving on. That's what it means. Now, the Patriots could change his mind between now and the start of free agency, but here's the thing. You know, Peter King was talking about this the other day. He thinks it's unreasonable for the Patriots to want to know at least three days before free agency what Tom Brady's going to do. The reality is you need to know well before that. You need to know who you're going to be sniffing around. You need to know who you're going to be making a play for. Teams want to know who they're going to get. When that legal tampering window opens for 48 hours before free agency... What happens is teams call agents of the players they want. They have a list. They have a wish list. Let's say you're going to buy a receiver in free agency. You got seven guys. Number one, call the agent. 
Here's our offer. I need to know right now whether or not you're going to take it. Wait a minute. I, no, we need to know right now. We're moving on to the next guy. Are you going to take it or are you not going to take it? Okay, we, uh, we'll take it. Deal done. That's how it works. Now, it's not a surprise when that phone call comes at the start of the legal tampering period because during the illegal tampering, that's when all the communications happen. So the agent knows you're going to be getting a call from us right out of the gates and everyone has an idea of what the parameters of the deal will be. So it's not like just something shows up in the mail and you don't know what it is and it may or may not be ticking. You know what's coming. But when it's time to actually legally put those offers on the table and get non-binding verbal agreements, they don't screw around. So all the work is done ahead of time. So the Patriots are going to want to know, if we don't have Tom Brady, we need a plan. If you're not going to stay, we need a plan. It can't be a situation where the Patriots let Tom Brady do a Reggie White free agency tour. Remember when Reggie White did that extended tour in 1993 before God told him to go take the most money that Green Bay was offering? You can't do that. The Patriots can't wait to see if Tom Brady decides the grass is no greener anywhere else. It needs to come to a head before then. And I feel like it already has. And unless a deal is done today... I look at this picture, and I see man walking in, man walking out, man is walking out. That's what I see if a deal isn't announced or leaked today. The first big domino of the 2020 free agency extravaganza will fall, and Tom Brady will be looking for a new team. And maybe he'll end up in the city where I'm currently sitting, Miami, Florida, as a member of the Dolphins, would that not be one of the greatest stories of all time? Two games per year against the Patriots. Enough of that, TB12. When we return, an extended conversation with the original TB12, Terry Bradshaw, live on set. Ball fever continues right now on NBC Sports Radio. You're reporting live from Radio Row at Super Bowl 54 in Miami. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Now, back to your host, Mike Florio. All right, here we are in Miami, still at Radio Row, and we are with, you know, there's been a lot of talk about TB12 over the past few years. Anytime somebody says TB12, I'm like, wait a minute, I <laughs> no, know. No, 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 There's I'm only the original, one. This the is the original, original TB12. There, there is only one TB12 I know of, and it is the great Terry Bradshaw. I grew up 60 miles from Pittsburgh in the 70s, yeah. and you were the first guy that I ever identified with as a quarterback when I discovered the sport. 1972, December 20, we got a house full of people because the games were blacked out then. We were within the buffer zone, but for some reason, my house was the only one in the neighborhood that had the antenna that picked up a station on the other side of the blackout. Because remember, they used, to, they used to black out even if yeah. it was sold out. So we had 50 people in the house, and the Immaculate Reception, I'm seven years old playing with Hot Wheels. That house exploded. Exploded. And... Oh. I, you know, because the stuff that grown-ups did, that was grown-up stuff. I don't care about that. When that happens, like, hey, this, this, this is something the grown-ups do that must be pretty good for them to act <laughs> like they're five years old. So uh, that, you're the original TB12, the original quarterback, the first quarterback I ever became aware of, and it's always great to talk to you. 
How you been, man? Been great. Been great. You know what I found out today? I saw Franco over there earlier. Well, that's what I was going to tell you. Franco uh, said, uh, he, Franco's big on trivia. So he said, uh, who, was the tight, who was the tight end Terry threw his first touchdown pass to in a Super Bowl? And nobody could get the answer. It was Larry Brown. Well, Larry Brown the following year was our tackle for the rest of my career. He was right tackle. Never played tight end again. So then we were talking about the immaculate reception. Did Franco catch it? Did, you know, all the, all the stuff. And then Franco stopped and he said, hey, that was your first touchdown pass in a playoff game. And I went, oh, my God, you're right. So Franco, Franco and his trivia, you know, I don't think like that. But, yeah, that's nice. That's nice to know. It's well, a good and, way to start. And I can tell you the ball did not touch the ground because the statue is at the Pittsburgh airport. I see it twice a week during <laughs> football season. And the ball is not touching the ground. That's all the proof oh we my need. God. I'll tell you, I, tell, I actually, for the first time three weeks ago now, three weeks ago, saw I saw a film from the end zone, and it looks like the ball is about that high off the ground. Because he's, you know, he's claims no whatever and did he catch it, did he? Because back then they had 12 cameras during the game. For the Super Bowl Sunday, there will be 88 cameras and God knows how many tape machines. So if today we'd have known whether he caught it or not for sure. Back in that moment, I mean, I, I remember and, and have seen the coverage of it after the fact. There was just kind of a sense of confusion about what the hell just happened. Right. From your perspective, was it just like, let's just get the hell out of here before they change their mind? Well, I didn't know they were, I didn't know they were uh, even thinking about changing their mind. Um, I didn't know about the ref going to the phone at the end of the stadium and calling in the press box and and the, and the officials, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I didn't know all about that. Uh, I didn't know he'd caught it because I'd gotten sacked on the play and just ho- heard the roar of the crowd. Now the roar of the crowd told me it was a touchdown. So I'm thinking, well, there was a black jersey coming across the field. I gunned it to the black jersey. Must have been a perfect pass, right? Caught him, hit him in stride, and whoever it was went down, scored. I didn't know it went boing boing, and away he went. So I didn't know about. All the problems till later about whether or not it was caught. Because the rule was, as you know, Frenchie Fuqua, who was hit by Jack Tatum, Frenchie could not be the last person to touch the ball before another Steeler touches it. There had to be a Raider in between. And uh, that was the question that did Tatum touch it last? Did Frenchie touch it last? If, he, if Frenchie touched it last, then... Franco's catch is incomplete. What a dumb rule that was. I remember they got rid of it somewhere in the mid-70s, but it was just a stupid rule. If it touches an offensive player first, another offensive player can't catch it. Well, now if it's a fumble it. and the guy that fumbled the ball, he's the only one that can cover Well, that's the Raiders' fault. Yes. That's, yeah, from uh, the late there 70s. Are some... I got so many memories uh, running back to me, and I, I vaguely recall this, and you may remember it and you may not. I grew up in Wheeling. At yeah. the, the, the WWVA, the Jamboree, Capital Music Hall. Man, I remember I, you came hey, and played hey, there. I did. I played the Jamboree. Uh, uh, the Statler brothers, were, they went on. And then Don Williams went on. And then I went on. So you're and, the headliner. And then I went downstairs and played in the club downstairs. <laughs> yeah, I, rem- I remember, because it's like, wait a minute, something's not right here. Terry Bradshaw is not a singer. He's not a, he's not a country exactly. music. But you became one. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere along the way I did. Um, you were on hand for a pretty awesome moment a few weeks ago when, when David Baker showed up. I, mean, I always say when David Baker shows up, you're either getting in the Hall of Fame or you're getting whacked, one wow. of the two. He's a big but man. He, he showed up and Jimmy got in. What, 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 what was it like in that moment? Oh, I tell you what was funny. What was – we did not realize how – Jimmy never talks about honors. 
never talks about himself. And we had no idea how important getting to the Hall of Fame at this stage of his life. Now, five, six years ago, we talked about it. He, I don't care about it. You know, it, he just never thought he'd get in. So we were watching Saturday on CBS. And David Baker went on during the pregame show and presented Bill Cower. You're in going into the Hall of Fame. And we were all just like, holy cow. I never heard him do anything like that. You know, like, is that how they do it? Is that what they're doing? And so we weren't thinking about it the next day, but Jimmy was. And so we did the pregame show. Nothing happened. But Jimmy thought, and we found out later, well, if I don't get him like Cower, you know, they'll do it on the pregame show. But he didn't, so he thought it was over with. So when we were doing highlights, we never do highlights from the field. Never from that little playing field. So we have, and Kurt goes, well, we got one more guest today. And so none of us knew. And then walks David Baker. And when he walked in, I went, oh, my God, is this not great. And Jimmy just lost it. Oh, he definitely lost, lost I mean, it. People thought, like, he was, he was going to keel over. Yeah. Well, he's got his asthma thing in his pants, and I thought – you got it. Take a hit. Take a hit. Yeah, yeah. I remember hearing you say that. That was something else to see Jimmy do. And he deserved it. And, you know, he does. It's, it's hard with his process. There's so many guys, so many worthy candidates. It's hard to get everybody in who deserves to be in. Donnie Shell from your Steelers team has gotten yes. in. And I, Tony Dungy was always big. He's the one guy who should have gotten in. Is the, is the circle complete now, or is there someone else out there who hasn't gotten in from there the teams of the There are some arguments 70s? for Andy Russell, our great right outside linebacker. But there's also there's so many Steelers in off that team now that I – you can understand people not wanting any more Steelers, but Donnie, for sure, so proud for Donnie, um, so proud for Bill Cower. I mean, those are, the, that's, those are great people with great teams, and I'm so proud for Jimmy because he got no help from Dallas. There's no one from Dallas that was presenting the case for, Jer for Jimmy Brown. That was John Zarnecki and Bill Belichick who flew in from New England mm -hmm. and set, went before the court and pled his case. And those two were responsible, I think, for getting Jimmy in. And so he'll be forever indebted. And I'm, I found out last night at our, at our dinner that Jimmy stood up and Troy's going to do the, the uh, video presentation. Oh, wow. And I get to put the, he wants me to put the jacket on him. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. That is awesome. So that Good is going to breaking be a little news here. So yeah, on yeah, Live. exactly. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Bill Cower. Hall of Fame, Chuck right. Knoll, Hall of Fame. Right. You've had some criticism of Mike Tomlin. I have. Did he do anything this year after all those injuries with Ben Roethlisberger and everything else? Did he change your mind at all with what he did with the yeah, team? Yeah, I said, you know what I said? I told, I said on Fox that this is his finest coaching job. Finest coaching job. I, I have a, I have a, I have a fixed picture of a head coach that I want to play for. And sometimes he didn't quite fit that picture, but this year, I think he did. It was his finest job as a head coach. Did just amazing job. You can't lose all those people and your quarterback, and and be as competitive as they were right down to the end. I know you probably make a pick during the pregame show, and you're probably going to keep it under wraps to them. But did you have a lean? My wife is uh, from uh, Missouri, and she's a huge Chiefs fan. Okay, I grew up in the era of great defense, run the football. And I believe that's winning formula. So I stay with defense yeah. and I go, with, I'm picking against my wife. I'll, 
stupid am I? But I am. Yeah, all right, well, I'm Terry, going with the 49ers. Great seeing you as always. Congratulations on I your career and all your success. And uh, wrong hand. You got me Thank so you. flushed that I used the wrong no, hand no, to no, shake your okay. hand. That's all right. The great Terry Bradshaw, the original TB12. Ladies and gentlemen. Original. The original TB12. We'll be right back. With more live Radio Row coverage from Super Bowl 54 in Miami. Our NBC Sports Radio. And this is Pro Football Talk Live. There are plenty of free agent quarterbacks in 2020. Unprecedented number of recognizable names who are available to be signed by anyone. Now, for some of these teams, the primary ability to keep the quarterback off the market is the franchise tag. Well, the ideal ability is signing the quarterback to a long-term deal. Failing that, application of the franchise tag keeps the quarterback from leaving or at least makes it much more expensive for another team to sign him because they'd have to give up two first-round picks if they sign the quarterback to an offer that his current team doesn't match. And Dak Prescott is the name at the top of the list of quarterbacks who could be franchise tagged. We don't envision him hitting the market. The Cowboys have made it clear they want to keep him. But the question becomes, how will that happen? And we've talked about it from time to time. I've written about it from time to time. The Cowboys have to decide if they tag him, whether it's the exclusive tag, which would be $33.4 million for one year, the non-exclusive tag, which would be in the range of 26 to 27, and would entitle the Cowboys to two first-round draft picks as compensation. Exclusive level, nobody can even talk to him. But it's $33.4 million. And... The ultimate downside for the Cowboys, if they would tag Dak Prescott, is he's got no obligation to sign it. He's got no obligation to show up for anything. He could do the Le'Veon Bell and stay away from all of the offseason program, mandatory minicamp. You're not under contract. You're not violating anything by not showing up for it. Training camp, no fines, no problem. You're not under contract. Preseason, don't have to show up for that either. You get the full amount of the franchise tender by showing up roughly a week before the start of the regular season. We've never had this happen where a quarterback has held out deep into a training camp in preseason. Drew Brees in 2012 stayed away from the offseason program in New Orleans, finally got his deal done with the Saints before the start of training camp. But we haven't seen any franchise-tagged quarterback mount an extended holdout. And look, it's not a holdout in the classic sense because Dak Prescott isn't under contract. Last year when Ezekiel Elliott held out, he was under contract. He was violating the contract. But he, look, we're, we're going to be back in this mode where we have to explain to people just because the individual contract between player and team is being breached, there's a broader contract between management and labor that gives the player the power to not show up if he's willing to incur the fines. For Prescott, no fines, no problem, no contract. And this is all relevant now because at an appearance here in Miami on Thursday when he was being asked questions about a situation by reporters, he would not commit to showing up for anything if the Cowboys tag him. He expressed disappointment that a deal hasn't been done. And at one point they asked him, if he plans to spend time in Dallas in the coming weeks and months. And he said no, and he said, be sure to report that. 
Look, he's got the leverage. He's got the ultimate or else. You have a new head coach in Mike McCarthy. If you don't sign this guy and if you tag him, Dak Prescott will not be there. He hasn't come out and said it, but let me tell you, I've known it for months. If this dance plays out to the point where the Cowboys tag Dak Prescott, he ain't showing up. Good luck getting your team ready without your starting quarterback. Have fun with that, Mike McCarthy. Maybe you can get Brett Favre to come out of retirement. Because you ain't going to have Dak Prescott. Which just puts maximum pressure on the Cowboys to get a deal done before the deadline for applying the tag. There's a two-week window that opens in February for applying the tag. Before that last day, and this reminds me of what happened seven years ago when the Ravens signed Joe Flacco because the Ravens didn't want to choose between a franchise tender. If they had gone non-exclusive, a team like the Browns or the Chiefs would have signed him to an offer sheet and taken him away from the Ravens, and in hindsight, that's probably the better move given the way that Flacco played and the money that they paid him over the next several seasons. They didn't want to do that. They didn't want to go exclusive because here's the thing. Once you apply the exclusive tag, Look, $33.4 million. If Dak Prescott should get a contract in the range of thirty-one to $32 million, because I think that's what would get it done, if you go thirty-three point four for one year, why would you sign a long-term deal off of that? You could play out the year at thirty-three point four, and then you know what? Next year, that number becomes $40.08 million. You get a 20% raise over the 33.4. And then if they try to tag you a third time, you get a 44% raise by rule. 57.7 million. 57.7 million. So that is 57.7 plus 40 plus 33.4. That's 131 million for three years. For three years. 131 million in hand. See, I've been waiting for another quarterback, a better quarterback, to do what Kirk Cousins did in Washington to play that year-to-year game to force his way to the open market. Because what Washington did was they tagged him at 20. They tagged him at 24. He had $44 million for two years of football. And then they weren't going to give him a 44% raise. And he became an unrestricted free agent. And he made and will make $28.5 million per year over three years, fully guaranteed to hit the open market unfettered. And you can characterize this situation all you want, but the bottom line is this. Dak Prescott is a businessman. And if Dak Prescott was not committed to Dak Prescott Incorporated, he would have already taken whatever the best offer was that the Cowboys made before the 2019 season began. Because he would recognize that he needs to be a team player. He needs to do a team-friendly deal. He needs to have money left over for other players. If he was committed to that, he already would have taken the best offer that the Cowboys were willing to make. Remember all that talk about Jerry Jones liking to negotiate directly with players to try to get them to understand their perspective and all that crap? That's just a way to get guys to take less, and Dak Prescott isn't playing that game. He has paid his dues under a fourth-round slotted contract. He has not missed a game. He has delivered. He had 4,900 passing yards in 2019. It is time for Dak to get paid. It is time for Dak to get paid. 
and he is going to behave like a businessman, and he is going to get every penny that he deserves. And the Cowboys had better figure that out, or they're not going to have a quarterback for the offseason program, and they're not going to have a quarterback for the mandatory minicamp, and they're not going to have a quarterback for training camp, and they're not going to have a quarterback for the preseason. And And Dak Prescott will roll in six days before the regular season opener and introduce himself to Mike McCarthy and say, let's roll. Here we go. And and because of that, that's why they're going to get this done before the deadline for applying the franchise tag. They'll get something done, and it's going to be somewhere between 31 and 32 million per year. Average value at signing. The new money analysis does not apply any longer because there's no contract. The new money analysis kept this deal from getting done because of the $2 million that Dak made in the fourth year of his contract. If you had signed him to the Jimmy Garoppolo deal last year, the new money average would have been $34 million. That's why a deal didn't get done. But hey, now's the time to do it. And if they don't do it, if they don't do it, and if they tag him, good luck. Getting the Cowboys ready. Good luck having a quarterback who is ready to execute the team's offense. That may be one of the reasons why they've kept the offense. Keeping the offense that they had gives them a little protection in the event that this does go sideways, that they tag Dak and that Dak doesn't show up. Because when he does show up, it's not like he's learning a new language from scratch. It's the... The offense that they had with Kellen Moore and Jason Garrett. And Kellen Moore's still there, and Kellen Moore's going to call the plays, and the offense is going to be the same. And maybe the offense changes after Dak Prescott signs a long-term contract committing to the Dallas Cowboys. I still think that's how it's going to end, but but this is an unprecedented amount of leverage that a player has over a team. And of all teams to have it over, he has it over America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. We've got... Two more hours of PFT Live on NBC Sports Radio. Four hours on NBCSN. We'll be back with more right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.